Assalamu alaikum and welcome to season two of Hijabi Culture, the podcast that celebrates hijab-wearing women who are overcoming challenges and helping change the narrative of hijab in the media. My name's Halima and I'll be your host throughout the series. I'm so excited to be bringing you some amazing guests and with season two we've got a new theme. We're focusing on identity and how the hijab identity impacts us in our workplaces but in society as a whole. I think it'd be wrong to go into season two without acknowledging what's going on in the world. And it's really made me think about hijab, some of the stories that I've seen. And one thing that stood out to me was how much honour and how much respect the people of Palestine, the women of Palestine have for their hijab. I saw online that women and girls were going to bed with their hijabs on, making sure that they were in their prayer suits so that in case their house was bombed in the middle of the night, that they wouldn't be found in state where they weren't wearing hijab and that hit me really deep because sometimes we just throw our hijabs and we don't even think about why we do it or what the purpose is and we'd never go through in our current lives that's not something that we'd even think about going to bed with our hijabs on um and I think when I saw that it just made me reflect on why we wear it and what's the purpose behind it and I think it's really touched me to see that people who are going through such a difficult, traumatic moment in time are still putting so much emphasis on hijab and how us in our little lives where we're not, where we have so much ease in comparison, we can sometimes bob it off and not give it the respect that it deserves. So in season two, we do acknowledge Palestine and we do acknowledge what we're doing in workplaces to help the people of Palestine and help raise awareness for these. So I thought it would be wrong to go into season two without acknowledging that Palestine will play or does play a huge part in the story of hijabi culture and we are supporting in as many ways as possible. Our first guest on the hijabi culture podcast season two is Charlie, an Instagrammer with a huge following. She uses her platform to educate people about different topics including brands to boycott in support of Uyghur and Palestinian Muslims and moving to the UAE for work. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. So, thank you so much for joining me today on the Hijab Culture Podcast. No, thank you for inviting me. And do you just want to give us a, a bit of an intro about you, who you are, and what you do? Yeah, can do. Um, okay, so I am Charlie. I am a revert. Um, I am married have been for 13 years I've got four kids and um I was always a teacher for like 16 years I was a secondary school teacher and then I left teaching and now work in a university um I have lived abroad so we were living in Dubai for four years from 2018 to 2022 and then this is our like first year back in the UK um and oh there's just so much <laughs> so my page of modestly wrapped started as a business um it was a modest fashion marketplace um selling modest fashion designers from around the world and like bringing them together in one place and then when i decided to close the business it kind of just turned into a bit of a fashion blog and then i've always liked writing so kind of kept the traditional blog bit element going and then now it's more of a 
I see it as a bit more of an educational platform for a variety of different things. So ranging from people who want to move to Dubai because there's so much interest in that at the moment. Um, education. Um, I have a boycott list because I strongly support Palestine and always advocate for as much um, as much of an activist as I can possibly be. Um, and yeah, just random talks. So just random things that I want to rant about, <laughs> basically. So could we necessarily just say that you have a huge Instagram audience and you use that, try to use that space for positive yeah. um, ed- education? Yeah, I think so. I try to because the the arena was kind of pretty full in terms of like fashion. And, and I don't think I'm, I'm not the, it's not that I'm not the most fashionable person. I do love fashion um as a little you know hobby but um as I've got older I've become so much more interested in in sustainability and um I like to think I have a very strong moral compass and and then how that then links with Islam um and just kind of trying to raise awareness of that but then also yeah like causes for you know whatever issue is going on at the moment there's normally multiple different things you know natural disasters uh, apartheid etc so yeah I just think um and apart I think part of it is the fact that I was a teacher and so it's natural in me to kind of want to educate um not to say I know everything at all because I learn just as much from my own page as I do as I hope other people do so it's it is a two-way process yeah, definitely. Uh, but I've just been looking through your um, post and you do have a lot, a huge community of people who are constantly like yeah. speaking their comments, making friends with each other and then reaching out and sharing their stories. So yeah. I was just wondering if you want to talk a bit about your hijab journey and what it was like putting your scarf on. Yeah, sure. Um, OK, so I think I started wearing hijab um, ooh, eight years ago. Um in July and um I started wearing it as a turban first of all when I reverted I swore I'd never wear a scarf <laughs> which is quite funny because I just I, I didn't see it as part of my identity and I thought it was kind of like covering up part of my identity so obviously there's a lot of learning that takes place there and especially as a revert um but I obviously as time went on I just I, I knew I wanted to wear it and I got to the point where I knew I would wear it it was just when it happened um and so I started wearing it as a turban and I started a little bit part time because I was on maternity leave um, after having my eldest daughter. Um, and I just used to wear it in certain places consistently. Um, and then I, I was going back to work um, in the, like the September. And then um, so I, I basically I had my daughter and then the day after I just started wearing it full time. Um, and one of the reasons I put it on then was because um, I was concerned about what my family would say or maybe wouldn't say because sometimes they don't say anything to me and that's probably more worrying um and so I thought well they're not going to say anything after I've just given birth I've just given them a granddaughter so I think that's going to be the least of their issues um and they didn't really I don't think they were that bothered really well th- but well they didn't tell me anyway um so I started wearing it as a turban for many many years because I really just couldn't identify with like a, a full hijab style it, I, it very much felt like I was playing dress up and it was somebody else's identity and it didn't feel like mine um and then where and I've, I, I've got to say I've never struggled with wearing it 
um, which I'll come back to why I think in a minute, but um, it was only in 2020, 2021, I think actually, yeah, 2021, that I then started wearing it as like a full hijab style. I was in Dubai at the time and um, I just wanted to wear it because I it, I don't know, something just felt right. That's how I'd always wanted to end up. I'd always wanted to get to that point of not wearing it as a turban and covering a little bit more. Um, and it just felt like the right time. So I just started wearing it and then I've never wore a turban again since. Not to say there's anything wrong with a turban. It just, I just wanted to make that progression as I saw it. Um, and yeah, I think, like I said, I've never struggled with wearing it, but I think that's because I didn't start wearing it until I was 30. And I'd, I've got really bad hair. <laughs> my <laughs> hair is terrible. It's awful. So for all of my like younger years, I was wearing, I was, I've dyed it since I was 13. I don't anymore, but I dyed it since I was 13. I wore extensions. Um, I did anything to try and like make it look better. I probably should have just worn a wig. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I did all of that. I, I did all the dyeing and the extensions and I've had it in every single possible colour and every single possible style you can ever imagine. Um, so I've I've been there, done that. And so when I started then, when I put the, the headscarf on, um, yeah, I just, I've just never, it's it's totally now, it's, in fact, now it's 100% of my identity almost. It's so ingrained in me. It's so important to me. It's so funny how it's gone like full circle from me looking at it and thinking that is not me to now it is so much a part of who I am. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't, I've ne not one day so far, Alhamdulillah, has gone past where I've thought, oh, I don't want to wear it today. I've put outfits on and thought, oh, man, that just doesn't look as good with a hijab on. But I'm like, well, that's just part of the process. That's part of my struggle. That's just yeah. the way it is. And you say that you when you first looked at it and you said that's so not me, what was the part of it that made you feel like it's not you? Was it like perceived ideas that you might have had that if I wear this and I've got to be like this? Or what was the thing that was holding you back from fully embracing that at the start? Um, you know what, I'll be totally honest. And I think it was because I'm white. And I really do think that I hadn't seen anybody around me at all who looked like me that's crazy for a white person to say I know but um <laughs> my, my my husband is Bengali um and so all of that side of my family it's a hundred percent Bengali I'm the only person who is not <laughs> apart from my kids now um and I don't know it just it I'd never seen a white person wearing it. I'd never seen another revert ever at this point so um I kind of had to and that's kind of how I came to wearing it, actually. It was because I then started to specifically look for more influence um, and more inspiration outside of, like, my now immediate family once I got married. Um, so I needed to find people that I could really relate to. And this is when I realised, wow, there's, like, so many more Muslims in the world than what I realised. Because up until meeting my husband and his family and being married, I didn't really have much understanding of Islam at all or Muslims generally I just kind of thought I don't even I don't even know what I thought I just didn't really have much knowledge on it so it's kind of opened up a whole world of learning I suppose and was it learning more about the hijab and what it represents and how Muslim women yeah embrace that identity was it that that said yeah. oh I want to be part of that community now I want to be 
part of those Muslim women? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for me, being, I think at the beginning, being Muslim was very much of, very much based on like appearance. And, and I think it is for a lot of women because it's very obvious that we're Muslim. So um, I believed that in order to feel like I fitted in, I needed to look the part. Um, and then once I looked the part, then I could start to believe it internally and start to do the inner work, I suppose. Um, and I don't know whether that's the right or wrong way of doing it. That's just how I did it. And that's how I ended up coming to it. But um, I did definitely start to learn. And I still do strongly believe that hijab is mandatory. I'm very vocal about that on my Instagram. That doesn't mean that um, if you're not wearing it, you know, I'm not do saying so in a in a judgmental way it's a journey for all of us and we all reach that point at certain paths certain points but um yeah I think just the more I learned about it the more I then understood okay this is why people wear it this is why and this is why I want to wear it in fact for me initially obviously to please God is a very important aspect of it but it was also a real political factor because um at the time of when I put it on we were going through Brexit and that whole debate was starting and there was a lot of very high um kind of high like very much in the media about islamophobia and it was just a bit of a statement is is another reason why i wanted to wear it because i really wanted to identify as being muslim i wanted everybody to know i'm muslim and i believe in this set of um th these factors and i and i totally prescribed to this religion so um yeah, learning more about it and what it stood for and what it represents. And as time has gone on, I just become deeper in that belief and understanding. And um, yeah, it's just very important to me. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you talked about like wanting to really stick to that identity because and really embrace the hijab because so often we see so many people using Brexit and using like the top, the kind of political state political stability of the country as a reason to take it off and say mm -hmm. well it's for my safety I, I'm not wearing it because I feel more safe if I don't wear it I won't be targeted for hate crime and all of that mm -hmm. but you mentioned that you put your hijab on before you went back to school in September so what mm -hmm. was that like going back to school in an environment that people previously knew you as a non-hijabi yeah. what was it like making that transition? Yeah so I worked in a school that I've worked I worked at for over 10 years um and it was a very well-known community I'd worked there a long time I knew a lot of the staff and then a lot of the ch the kids who went there then became staff so it's very much a, like a little community um and they were there like I was there when I got married so um, I remember coming back in in this in I got married in the December and I came back in in the January I was like oh what did you do over the Christmas period I'm like oh I, I got married and they were like what <laughs> <laughs> what and they were like you need to backtrack and tell us this whole story what has gone on here um so they, yeah they saw kind of that entire in fact they saw my entire transition at that school um and uh this is the great thing about working with kids is that I wasn't obviously it's very nerve-wracking when you first put it on for anybody um so I was a bit nervous but it's an extremely diverse school um there there's a, quite a lot of Muslim children there and there's actually a lot of uh, children who have then embraced Islam as well um, so it's a very nice environment for that um, but yeah I just remember walking back in and nobody said a word for three days and I was like 
I'm gonna have to bring this up because nobody this is staff wise nobody is saying anything so I just remember being in the like workroom and being like is nobody going to mention the fact that I've now got a headscarf on and they're like oh well we didn't want to ask and da, 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 but it looks really nice and you look so good and da, da, da. so um they were just I don't know didn't want to um they were just being overly polite but obviously students not so much so because straight away they're like whoa miss you've got a headscarf on and then they just want to know everything and they they I mean they were just genuinely very interested in my life anyway I don't know maybe I'm just that type of person but um yeah they just wanted to know all the stories so I'm very honest and very transparent I just you know told them you know I'm Muslim and this is part of my journey this is part of my process I've always wanted to wear it so just felt like the right time let's get on with the lesson yeah no that sounds really good and I think it was quite I, I feel like your colleagues were like let's not make a big deal about it yeah it's just let it let it happen so yeah no that sounds really positive um and I just want to talk about being a hijabi on the Instagram space what's that been like um I think it's it's changed so much because when I first found this is how I found like a community of Muslim women was through Instagram um because I saw I've told this story so many times it's so funny but I saw Nabila B on um on BBC Three, she had like a program um, with Nicola Roberts from Girls Aloud about hijabis and how they were dressing, etc. And I remember my husband coming home and was like, oh, this program's going to be on, you should watch it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that. And then I found her and then I found Instagram and then I found Dina Tokyo. And then I found like all these other like really influential people at that point in time. And for me, like I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. All these people who are dressing really cool and they've still got a headscarf on and um, this was what I was looking for so I kind of found that there and then as time's gone on the landscape has in my opinion the landscape has really changed because um, it's quite acceptable now to have like Muslim uh, women on Instagram whether they consider themselves influencers or content creators or um, whatever it is they might do it's quite common like there's a lot of people there um, and they are starting to get more into the mainstream media um, with a form of representation. There's still a lot, long way to go, but still very much feels like a bit of a tick box exercise. Like a brand will say, oh, we need a hijabi or oh, we need a, a black woman or we need a brown woman or whatever. We've kind of gone through this whole phase as well where we saw a lot of influencers taking their hijab off for their own reasons. Um, and I suppose... I've got daughters so the the part that concerns me is the level of influence that people really do have and obviously I don't think any of these um, women get into Instagram in order to influence um I don't think that's their actual primary well not to influence in terms of buy more or do this but everyone kind of gets into it as a bit of a hobby they like taking pictures of their outfits they post them online and then their audience grows and then they realize oh I could actually make money through this um how can I make money so they and it could be my job and I can really love it and really enjoy it and then they kind of go down that path and and then I think for some people they kind of forget why they started it in the first place um which is easy to do and I can say that I've I've been there as well but um I don't see it now as a place where I gain inspiration from and this is really sad because this is why I first joined Instagram was because it was that source of inspiration um fashion wise initially but then in terms of inspiration now I just and I was having this conversation recently I just don't see anybody that I just think yeah that's 
that person really not not many anyway that like really inspires me but I think I'm looking for something different now I'm not looking for someone to inspire me through fashion and clothes because actually it's not really on my radar as being important anymore um now I want to see <clears throat> I do want to see more social activists in our community and I do want to see people speaking out more and I do want to see people fighting for more um, equality and diversity and and I think I just use the platform in a very different way and I'm sure everybody does I'm sure that's a cycle that a lot of people go through um but the the like the materialism and the consumerism part of it I just I don't like anymore personally um it's not for me maybe that's part of growing up and aging maybe I don't know but yeah I think I suppose our our reasons for using social media do change over time no definitely I agree with that I think we've kind of hit like an influencer limit on Instagram like so many times you just you like somebody and then you you start watching a couple of their videos you see you start following them and soon you're just like I'm I'm sick of this like I don't want to be told to buy any more products or go check this (laughs) website out or go do this because you just find it's overwhelming and it's fake and I think we forget so much of social media is fake um Mm. So, yeah, when you say you're an educator on social media, that's something completely different. So would you want to talk a bit about the work that you do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to be one of those people who says I'm not an influencer because as a, as an ex-teacher, I know every single person is inf- is, um, is an influencer to the, to the people around them, whether that's just their friends or family or, you know, whether it is a slightly wider audience. So we're all influencers in some way. But um, I... I I don't do paid ads and I don't partake in any of that kind of thing because um, it doesn't feel genuine to me. And as much as I, I just think that content's for someone else, that's not the content I'm going to produce. I, there's plenty of people who can tell you about the latest items that have come out in H&M or they can tell you about the latest, I don't know, wherever food place you want to go to or whatever. And and I enjoy seeing that con- that content from other people but um that's not my niche so um and that takes a long time to realize <laughs> <laughs> um because so i think what i do is firstly yeah it's like i lived in dubai and as we, as i mentioned earlier there's so many people at the moment are i've got this dream of running away to dubai and i've been there done that and i first of all i will outwardly say i would run back there in a second so this is not me saying you know i've done it and it's it's rubbish because it absolutely is not um but i do think there's a bit of reality i, I saw this little gap of like everyone around me was saying oh i'm going to move to dubai i'm going to do this and i'm like okay the world can't move to dubai like every <laughs> british muslim cannot move to dubai <laughs> it's not going to happen and and i just wanted to provide a bit of reality to it and also there's very little i remember when we were moving there's very little that I could find online that told me about it, you know, how you do it, how visas work, how, um, you know, like salary expectations, all of that kind of thing. So I just kind of started doing like educational videos on that. And it's hugely popular on my page. And um, I have an entire massive list of videos that I need to record to tell people about certain topics and um, and things like that. Um, and then also I do have a lot of teachers that follow me. Um, I think we try and stick together as teachers. <laughs> so, um, and I know that the vast majority of my audience have kids as well. So they're all kind of age range between like 25 to 45. That's kind of my target market. Um, 
and so education is obviously extremely important with a lot of my audience as well so and I've got kids in primary school and then I'm a secondary teacher so um I can kind of um I've got a bit of knowledge on that kind of sector as well and then um yeah also as I said earlier like I, I just care massively about um Palestine and I talk a lot about Uyghur Muslims um and just making ethical choices it kind of blows my mind a lot that you get and I'm gonna just say it as it is you get so many Muslims and influencers in particular that are like promoting companies like Zara and um Uniqlo and you know the full boycott list is on my page but and I'm not saying you know everybody should be boycotting these but I'm just saying these are the brands that I don't shop with and that's because they have such strong links to oppressing other Muslims and I think we need to just stand together as a community and do what we can to try to not be a part of that we're not going to stop it it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime but you know I've got a conscience and I have to sit on that prayer mat five times a day and you know justify what I've done in the day and how I've used my time and how I've spent my money and and what I'm doing in this world so um the guilt in me knowing that somebody else you know like another child who could be the same age as my kids is in a sweatshop or is having a totally different lifestyle to my kids like we're so blessed to be living in this country as much as it drives me crazy um <laughs> in the way that we do um that just any part we can play in trying to prevent that or just having an impact on it i think is quite important um islam is like you know there's so much about ethical behavior it's so important and I feel like we've forgotten that a little bit definitely and I think when we're we're so obsessed with consumerism we kind of forget mm -hmm. that link because yeah so many times there's so many brands that you want to kind of you see something you're like oh I want to buy that but it, oh you, you check and it's from this place and you think yeah. okay well I'm not gonna and then it's you, you just still think about oh I should have bought that thing or it still lingers in your mind but you think no yeah. I've got to make the ethical decision to not buy from there because if I'm if you, if you buy it once and you think yeah. you can buy from it again and again and then it just becomes that your go-to place yeah um, and I think we've done it with we've done it with like the dates this is proof that we can do it. So like, you know, everyone checks where their dates are from. Yeah. So we can do this with fashion. We can do this with, you know, other aspects of our lives. It's it's possible. It's within our capability. Yeah, definitely. And I think that sustainability aspect is so important now as well, because mm -hmm. we've seen that modest fashion market. It's so consumed, heavily consumed with child labor or um, yeah. fashion and is you you don't find sustainable modest fashion no that, not at all that's the issue um because wherever you find it you find it linked with these companies yeah. and then you think but then when you do find the modest fashion you find out that it's very expensive or yeah. it's like the ASOS's version of that or yeah somebody else's version of that so I think yeah. it's time that we try to claim that modest fashion and make it in a sustainable and ethical way yeah because t that is real modest fashion like that it's not just a one trick pony. It's not just about um, just dressing looser. Like it's so much deeper than that. It means so much more. You do have to think about well, where it came from as well. And also like where it's going afterwards, um, what it says about you. It, it, there's so many layers to it, which we say about like the hijab, we say there's like lots of layers as to what it means and what it represents. But we don't say it with the whole of kind of, of fashion. And I think there's, 
I like I've worked in modest fashion as well for a few different companies and and I know it's hard um because a lot of modest fashion companies are very small and they are they start out as just one person you know starting a company and so they're not manufacturing they are just uh, buying and selling so when you are just buying and selling it is almost impossible to have a um, sustainable supply chain for any business that's very difficult so, and when you're just buying and selling you have no idea where that stuff's being made and produced you don't know what area of China that cotton is coming from so it is very very difficult um, but it's not it is you know there are plenty of other companies with outside of modest fashion that are starting to to do it um, and to to have um, a larger following with a sustainable element as well and I think it just should be part of modest fashion I don't think it should just be a some people are sustainable and some people aren't I think it should just be part of the industry yeah definitely and I think we've got a lot of work to do in that aspect because like you yeah. said I I also got into Instagram just for fashion purposes and seeing what other people are wearing and I was yeah. part of that kind of social mm-hmm. space as well back in like the early 2010s when it was YouTube that there were uh, these hijabi (laughs) influencers were on Um, and yeah it's just changed so much since then because we had more Denise and everybody was like going crazy for it and then that hype kind of died down and like other brands started popping up and yeah but it's they've always lacked that ethical element Mm -hmm. and as you say like modesty is so much more than just covering up it's about where does that come from how is that impacting other people and their lives Mm -hmm. like are they being stripped because of, of something because we're taking that this from them yes. yeah I think it's a lot to think about um but you mentioned one thing and it's on my mind you they're moving to Dubai um I'm also in that space where everybody seems to be moving to the Middle yeah. East uh, <laughs> it just seems like the grass is greener over there but yeah and you as an educator probably have more of an insight on this but a lot of like young British Muslim couples are deciding to move to Dubai because of education within the UK and what's been promoted within the education system with the LGBTQ rights so what do you what do you how have you as an educator taken on that role in schools what's it been like yeah I mean uh when we moved back uh from Dubai that's when I left teaching so um I'm not like in schools now, but I have got two children who are in um, primary school and um, I totally understand those concerns. And I have said this before on my page, but had we known the extent of the RSE curriculum, we would not have moved back. And that would have been a real big factor. Um, But obviously it's very difficult to know that when you're in a totally different country (laughs) yeah and sometimes there's a lot of media hype and I do think that is there's a it's a really complicated situation because there is a lot of scaremongering that's going on in the media I do believe that I also really adamantly trust and believe in fellow teachers um and you know not everybody is trying to push an agenda whatever that agenda might be you know a lot of people got into teaching to teach their subject in fact i would say most people to teach a subject that they feel very passionate about or if they're a primary teacher because they really love kids and they really want to help and support um kids so i don't think this is a primary agenda i'm sure for some people it might be but for most it's probably not um does it concern me now as as a parent of four, yes, but my take on this, and actually my husband, me and my husband had a bit of a debate about this because we have very, not varying um, 
opinions on this, but slightly different in that my um, response to things like this is always right. So what can I do to get involved in it then? Because if this is this is going to happen, like and also it's worth knowing as well and bear in mind that the RSE curriculum has been in place for a long time. And it's been within PSHE for a long time. It's just that now it's got a slightly different spin on it. Um, and now things are being put into the curriculum, which are a bit more, this has to be done. Um, so my take on it was, <laughs> what I decided to do was, okay, this curriculum is coming into play in September. My kids are in this school. I'm going to get involved with the school as much as I possibly can to find out what's being taught, how it's being taught. And I want to know exactly what's going on. So um, when I, my kids joined the school, I joined the PTA to get into the school. And then we hosted, I, I organised an iftar during Ramadan. And I was like, you know, the Muslims in this community are not like getting together. What is going on? We need to, you know, get bring everyone together and start this little group. So once we'd kind of done the iftar, which was really great, um, we then turned the group into a Muslim parents of the school. So we've got this little group of parents who there's about 30 of us. Um, and when the RSE curriculum came into place, I went straight to the school and said, look, these are my concerns. Can you talk to me about it? Um, I'd like to know what's going on. And we then the school were really great and talked to me about it and invited me in. They wanted to hear uh, my opinion. And then I took their ideas and um, what they were kind of planning to deliver back to our group. And we all discussed them and then we all came back with some compromises and some feedback. And then the school were just really great at listening to what we had to say. Um, and I appreciate that not all schools will be that open and, you know, fair and really interested in making sure a certain community is catered for. Um, but we are just very blessed to have that um, those kind of teachers in this school. Um, I'm now a governor at the school, so I've just tried to get even more involved. <laughs> so I can find out exactly what is being done. And it's parents even at the end of the month. And I will be going to the teachers to request the PSHE um, scheme of work because I want to know exactly what is being taught on what day so that I can have those conversations at home. Um, I do really believe that if we as a community instill our religion within our children from a, from day one, um, then it's more than OK to be surrounded by people who are different and say, you know what? OK, that's you. This is me. We don't do that or we can't do that. You know, but we live side by side. Um, and I hope that my children will be able to say, you know, during lessons or whatever, you know, that Muslims don't do that or Muslims don't believe that. But OK, that's interesting to to hear from you. Um, and I think that's where things have got complicated because people are scared of saying anything from a religious point of view um, because they're worried that they're going to get branded a bigot or um, homophobic or, or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's not it's not that obviously nobody hates anybody. This is just that's you and this is me. Um, and we know who we are. And as long as my kids know who they are, um, what they represent, who they're answerable to, and they're strong in their faith, um, I'm OK for now, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I think when you said that scaremongering aspect, I didn't know how 
I'm not a parent, so I didn't know how what was being taught or how deep they were going. And then a couple of friends kind of highlighted the issue, and I thought, oh, really? Is that how? Is that what they're actually teaching now? But I did some research, and you do see it's like one case out of like yeah. hundreds yeah. that it's happened yeah. like this. Yeah, but obviously. I think it's when we talk about educators, school has always been a balance. You don't do all of your learning at school. It's coming home and doing your learning at home as well. So it's that balance. And I think if people feel so strongly about what's being taught inside schools, then maybe at home, there needs to be that stronger grip of this is our identity and this is what we do. We can't just leave it all to one person to do all the teaching. Yeah. And you can't, like you know we live in the UK you can't bring your kids into a bubble and like I, I posted a video on this the other day and, and I was like you know okay let's say you decide I'm going to homeschool now because I don't want this involved this you know in my kids lives okay so what are you going to do when you're walking down the street and you see two two guys together what are you going to do when you go to the library and they have got books there that are about um you know same-sex relationships and things like that. I've seen them in Sainsbury's in Tesco in the library um so what are you going to do then when are you going to have these conversations because at some point if you live in this country you've got to have these conversations and say this is what some people do this is what we do and and also like running away to Dubai is not the answer I like I, I've been there done that um I won't speak on Dubai and their lawmaking but um you know, none of this, it, there's no place in the world where you're going to get away from this situation. So you've kind of got to be involved in the education of it, I think. Definitely. And I think that can only be done if we make like strong roots in mm. like our Madaris and making sure that we have those connections because if we don't have them and we don't have a link to our religion that's more than just praying Quran and praying Namaz and yeah. we actually make an active effort to learn um, and make ourselves aware of how to deal with this in an Islamic way, then yeah. that problem will continue for generations to come. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I really, really appreciated your input on that because it's something that a lot of people are currently talking about and with your links to Dubai and moving there. Um, but obviously you did the pandemic in Dubai then. What was that yeah. like? Oh, I'm so glad that I was there and not here. <laughs> <laughs> because... Um, yeah, so I, I was pregnant at the time, at the beginning, with my third, um, and he was born in the February, in February, and then we went into lockdown in the March, like, um, he was only, like, a week old, um, and we had, like, a hardcore lockdown for six months, and then we went back to normal, as much as normal could be, so, yeah, we were, it was, it's a very different, have a very different experience of COVID to everyone else in the UK, um, we, I, have been I was wearing a mask for two and a half years um so when we moved back to the UK last July was the first time I took it off in two and a half years so that felt good um and I was teaching with it on and we all had it on we social distanced for two and a half years um oh, wow and um but yeah we had like a hardcore lockdown for six months where we um couldn't go out um at all and that didn't last for the whole six months but within that period of time though I think there was four weeks where we couldn't leave the house at all and we had like these alarms that went to our phone and uh, we had like um curfews and things and then it got to a point where we had to apply for a license to leave the house um and only one person could leave per week (laughs) so so it was very hardcore 
Um, but it worked. And like fair play, like even the World Health Organization actually um, said that the Emirates um, were was the place in the world that handled it like the best. So um, we, you know, they deep disinfectanted the country like every single 20, 48 hours or something crazy. Um, and yeah, from the like September onwards, we then just went back to school. So the kids were only off for like six months. I got an extended maternity leave because that was amazing because maternity leave is on, was only 40 days at the time. Um, and then, yeah, from the September onwards, it was just a bit of hybrid. So um, people were at work. This is where like flexible work, the amazing situation of flexible working kind of came into play. And we were like half in, half out. Um, which was quite challenging as a teacher, but it's developed a whole new skill set that I didn't know I needed. Um, and then, yeah, there was just, it, I don't, it took a bit of time for everything to get back to normal, but we didn't have this whole in, out, in, out. Um, we definitely didn't have the whole, um, like, politicians doing one thing and the normal yeah. population doing another. So, <laughs> <laughs> And the one thing I will say is, internationally, um the world was looking at the UK and was like what are you doing like because obviously I was abroad so I was reading international news I wasn't reading and I, I purposefully don't read the BBC but I wasn't reading British news papers and media outlets I was reading international news and it was very much like the UK and the US are just making an absolute mess of this situation like what are they doing so many people are dying etc um so at the time, I was ridiculously thankful that we were in the UAE. But obviously, we were stuck there and we didn't see our families for two years because we couldn't travel and we couldn't fly. Um, so that was challenging, but um, everyone was safe in our situation. So um, we got off lightly, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. No, but thank you so much. You've had literally this 40 minutes has been so interesting and so <laughs> information packed. I've really, really appreciated it. But just before we get off, um, I just want to ask you this one question. So it says, yeah. what's one thing you constantly remind yourself about hijab? Oh, um, I think, I think, two, well, maybe two things. So firstly, I think it's kind of two things. So firstly, it's like why I wear it. So when I put it on in the morning and I'm kind of like looking in the mirror, I am trying to think about why I'm putting it on and not just, oh, it's another fashion accessory because it is not that and it is so much more than that. So I do try and remind myself daily, like this is why you're putting this on. It's so important. Um, but also, like I said, I've got daughters. And in fact, one of the main reasons I put it on was because I was I realised, you know, I'm having a daughter and I am, whether I like it or not, I'm going to be her first role model. And I have to make sure that I am as good a role model for her as I can possibly be. Um, I will never force her to wear it. In fact, I would just I'd just be so happy if and when she does decide to wear it. But it will be her own choice. But I, I hope that by me wearing it and showing her the importance of wearing it and why I wear it and how beautiful it is, um, she will then also see that same beauty. and. Um, to be fair, both of my daughters, one so one's eight and one's two, um, they always put it on at home and um, just like walk around the house wearing one. So um, hopefully that little dress up that they do when they're younger will then translate into real, um, like a real love for it themselves. So, yeah, it's, I think that's one of the key reasons that 
I kind of well, one of the key things that I try and remind myself every day it's it's for them as much as it is for me no that sounds amazing and I hope hope inshallah that they do wear their hijab even yeah. no matter what the political state in the UK is yes. then um exactly. because that's the bigger challenge yeah uh, very good yeah but thank you so much for joining me today and I hope you've enjoyed this conversation yes. which I have. It. yeah it's been really lovely so thank you so much I've really really enjoyed it it's been great speaking to you no, and you. Thank you, and have a lovely day. You too. Salam alaikum. salam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hijabi Culture Podcast. I'm so grateful to each and every listener. And please make sure to follow us on Instagram at hijabiculture underscore and let us know your thoughts. Thank you again. This is Halima, and this is Hijabi Culture. Assalamu alaikum.